You are listening to the Give Me Five podcast, episode number 70. This is the Give Me Five podcast, a semi-entertaining show about very entertaining things. My name is Jimmy, and I am here with Rob. Present. And Craig. Here. On the Give Me Five podcast, we discuss pop culture, entertainment, and a little bit of nostalgia. This week, we've got the new release, Glass, the documentary film, They Shall Not Grow Old, uh, produced and directed by Peter Jackson. And we will hop in the Wayback Machine for a little bit more nostalgia by revisiting the 1988 film Willow. Woo! I finally got Greg to watch it. Yeah. He forced me. And he fed me wings while we were doing it, so. Ooh, I was out of town. That's unfortunate. Was wing, wings and, uh, yeah, was, know. was it 80s or it was late 80s, right? 88. Yeah. 88, okay. Yeah. And guys, we will be doing things a little bit different going forwards. We have a new format. So we're going to be adding some new things over the next few weeks. We will be revisiting some past topics as we have some more time to reflect on them. So whether that be, hey, you know, season two of this, or what did you think about, you know, an episode that we didn't talk about because it wasn't out yet? Yeah, so yeah, some of the stuff that has come up in the past is like, you know, we might be forced to watch an entire streaming thing before talking about it to form an opinion, but it's a little harder to do that. So maybe we'll at some point watch you know some of the streaming, make it form an opinion and then see if it fulfills what we think it's going to be or TV shows. A couple weeks ago, what Rob, we talked about uh, the Orville season two, but we only two episodes were out for us to review. Right. And I saw the third one and there was a bombshell that I didn't know. Dun, 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 dun. See well, those well. types of things. Exactly. Yeah. So it's not going to take a, a full topic, but we're going to chime in every once in a while and be like, oh, okay. Hey, we said this and we will revisit them. Wow. And Rob will eventually someday remember it's to turn off his cell phone wrinkle. Ring, wrinkle? <laughs> wrinkle. <laughs> yes. His <laughs> cell phone ringer, or else we will have another new top, another new format thing where we uh, torture Rob. You will be Greg's rant. That yes. Because Rob might enjoy that. That's true. Giggity. At oh, the end I, of the show. I know my rant. My rant happened today. Yeah, that's another thing we're about to happen. Go ahead and, and talk about that as well. Yeah, at the end of the show. I don't show, know that I can find something new to rant about every week, but. Well, you won't have to because okay. it's only when you host. So each week, the host of the episode will get their opportunity to rant about a certain topic. We will try and keep that under a minute or so, maybe a little bit longer, but it's not going to be some huge diatribe. We're not going to really get into the political part of it. Uh, it's meant to be lighthearted. Mm-hmm. So well, stick around. My, my next week one is going to be, there's going to be anger and vitriol. Okay. Rage. And uh, Rob, you already rant about something every week. I'm not sure why you're the one that's concerned about not being able to rant about something. Do I rant about something every week? Yes. Pretty much. See, I've forgotten already. You've ranted about cell phone companies. You've ranted about EA. You've ranted about... EA sucks! You've ranted about about critics a few times. You've ranted about... Yeah, you're you're good. I don't think you're going to have any problems. We'll also be adding a few fun surprises along the way. So hopefully you guys enjoy them. And uh, let us know what you think. So, this is a review show, 
And there will probably be spoilers. We'll try to avoid any major twists because we all know that an M. Night Shyamalan movie has some weird, stupid twist at the end. But we'll try and avoid it. So if we're talking... She just sounded like a sad puppy when you said that. Yeah. He was like, that noise. I'm, I'm thinking there's not really a twist in this movie. We'll get to my opinions about oh, that okay. when we talk about the movie Glass. All right. So if we're talking about something that you haven't seen, read, or listened to yet, then use your own discretion. You can fast forward and come back later. Anything new, guys? I've got something. So I remember when I was growing up mm-hmm. that people were really scared of heavy metal in the 80s. You, it, when and all the... the um the Satan panic thing. The, the gas lighters would come around and light the street lights every night. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I remember, you know, a few things that stuck out. One, someone was like, oh, there's a band called ACDC. Their name means against Christ, devil's child. Turns out it's really what? just, that's what people I'd say. I've never heard that. Yeah. Did not mean that. It had something more to do with an ACDC power plug on a vacuum cleaner. That's mm-hmm. funny. I, I just remember uh, Kiss was Knights in Satan's service. Yep. And Slayer was? Uh, Slayer. Satan laughs as you eternally rot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that anyway. I had heard, and I had heard the Kiss one as well. And anyway, one of the big things, of course, was that Ozzy Osbourne was a crazy Satanist, was throwing animal parts in, or live animals into the crowd, and all this stuff. And of course, they always referenced the bat. And of course, what the bat story was is that someone threw a bat up on stage at an Ozzy Osbourne concert in Des Moines, Iowa. He picked it up. He thought it was a rubber bat and bit the head off of it, thinking, again, rubber bat. And as soon as he bit down, he realized, uh-oh, because it um, apparently squirted some nastiness into his mouth. And so the 37-year anniversary of this bat incident uh, was January 20th, so a couple days ago, from when we're recording here. And in honor of that he is releasing a uh, little plush bat toy that you can buy on OzzyOsborne.com that has a removable head, and it's adorable. That's pretty funny. And uh, I just thought it was funny because his I, I've read his biography, but he said they quoted it in his article about it. But uh, Osborne picked up the still alive bat, which he said, but it wasn't still alive. And uh, in the he said it in his book, I Am Ozzy. Uh, immediately, though, something felt wrong. Very wrong. For start, my mouth was instantly full of this warm, gloopy liquid. It was the worst aftertaste you could ever imagine. I could feel it staining my teeth and running down my chin. Then the head in my mouth twitched. Oh, fuck oh, me, I thought. I didn't God. just go and eat a fucking bat, did I? Osborne had to get rabies shots after the incident. But anyway, <clears throat> so I was I was actually thinking of something funny, because like, you know, you, there's all these true crime podcasts that are out there, like, solving crimes and stuff, and I was like, they should do one on trying to figure out who actually threw the bat onto stage. But it turns out they already know. Apparently, it was a guy really? named a guy named Mark Neal. Who? Um, <laughs> What's Mark up to these days? Uh, well, he. So I guess he got the bat. They they found it at school, and they tried to keep it as a pet. So they put it in an aquarium. Like they weren't trying. They didn't try to harm the bat. But apparently, bats don't really take well to being uh, kept in like cages and stuff. So it did actually die after about seventeen days or so. He said. So knowing that he was going to an Ozzy Osbourne concert, he stuck it, he was about 17 years old, he stuck it in a Ziploc bag and just stuck it in his fridge for a few days after it was dead, and then brought it to the concert. Although midway through uh, recounting his story, he did pause, he goes, is there any way I can get in trouble for this? <laughs> so he was still a little concerned. But apparently, uh, Mark Neal, he he did uh, bring a dead bat, that's how we know it was dead, because he's like, it was definitely dead. So that that that's my Ozzy stuff. 
And uh, that you you showed me that plush today, and it is pretty adorable. Um, what a way to celebrate such an odd thing, mm-hmm. but certainly something that uh, rocketed Ozzy Osbourne's name into um, you know living rooms around the country. Yeah, I guess yeah, infamy. You know, because everyone was just like, oh, that's that guy from Black Sabbath, and he became you know, oh, the guy that bit the head off of the bat and the dove as well, or doves. But that, those he knew were alive. But that's a whole other story. So, so what you got, Jimmy? As for the shopkeeper and his son, that was a different story altogether. I had to beat them to death with their own shoes. Well, I've got some really exciting news. Um, this past weekend, I was down in Fort Pierce, and mm-hmm. after seeing the movie Glass... That's the first time the uh, words exciting and Fort Pierce have ever been in the same place. Yeah. Oh, actually, because I was in Port St. Lucie. I'm sorry. Okay, They're so close. Um, after seeing Glass, my friend and I went back... And we were waiting for our significant others to get back from a share concert. Well, we started playing some Streets of Rage. And, uh, man, I, I didn't remember how hard those games are. Oh, I love that game. But, yeah, so do I. And it was still a blast to play, even though they're so repetitive. Um, still just a lot of fun. And um, as we were playing, there was a character that came up on the screen called Slum. And... <laughs> No offense to Mr. Dan Haig, but... He's the guy from Gunship. Right? He is. He is uh, in Gunship, um, whom we've talked about many times. There's a character that looks just like Dan Haig. And when this game came out, I mean, Dan Haig was probably a couple of years old. Um, you know, assuming he's around the same age as we are. But when I, I made a mental note to myself to... When I got back to Orlando, I was going to go find it, take a screenshot, and at Gunship and at Dan Haig on Instagram, and we were all going to have a good laugh and say, oh, ha, 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 Dan Haig is a character in Streets of Rage. Uh, you know, this game that's mm, how many years old? Streets of Rage? Uh, yeah, 93. So 20-something years old. Yeah. Anyway. 26. Um, yeah, 26 years old. Wow. Um, but anyway... Uh, doing some research into that the other day, I discovered that there's a fucking Streets of Rage 4 coming out this year. It looks fun, too. Nice. Yeah, it looks really fun. Think about the style that you see, you know, Street Fighter and Tekken in now. Um, returning characters are Axel and, um, it's Blaze are, are gonna be returning to the series. So, um, I'm super excited about it. It's, uh, there were a lot of, you know, game clones back, you know, in the early 90s, and some of them were good, some of them were bad. Streets of Rage is very obviously a clone of Double Dagron. <laughs> so, you know, but it was a really good one. Um, Callback. I'm excited. Yeah. Hey, uh, if you guys haven't played Double Dragon Neon on the, um, on Xbox or, or PlayStation, you should definitely check it out. Yeah, Double Dragon Neon was a lot of fun, and I can't wait for this. So we'll be talking about that in the future for sure. And um, yeah, hope to hope to be playing that real soon. Man, those those fighting games between that and movies like The Warriors and like the DC comics where they have like the street thugs that yeah. really made me think that basically you go to any city and there was like mobs of these like. Dudes with chains. Yeah, dudes with chains and, like, wearing mohawks and... The the suspenders that, like, cross across your chest with, like, the little ring. 
Exactly. Like just roaming around with like broken bottles on their fingers and stuff like that. Like that was one of the the myths like, that like roving karate bicycle gangs. Yeah, of course. Exactly. It was one of the myths that we discussed in a previous episode that exactly. we thought we were going to encounter when we were adults. <laughs> and it's because of games like that. That you would go to a city and you'd be like, Oh shit, where are the guys with the chains? Where are the punks with the neon mohawks and the radioactive waist jackets? Mullets you know? and red headbands. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, that was Corey Aim. <laughs> no, that was Corey Feldman. Yeah, it was. I got something. Just it's it's been out for a little while, so I'm not quite sure how how recent this is. But I I saw that Costco is now offering a new item for all those doomsday preppers out there. Have you guys seen this? No. Is it a, what is, it? is it a case of like four thousand gummy bears? Um, no, but it's close. Sugar free. It uh, is. Not. It is a 27 pound bucket of macaroni and cheese. That's not a doomsday prepper item. That's a that's a good that's a good time on a weekend is what that is. That that supposedly <laughs> that supposedly will keep on a shelf for twenty years. Really? Yeah. Or two days at my apartment. Well, there you go. <laughs> I was gonna say if anyone but, has like teenagers, it'll be about like one afternoon. Twenty-seven pound bucket of macaroni and cheese, and I think it goes for like eighty bucks or something like that. Un- uncooked? Um, it doesn't say. Is Let's it? See. What brand is it? Is it Cheddar Goblin? It is not Cheddar Goblin. Oh, Another Cheddar callback. Goblin. It is Chef's Banquet macaroni and cheese. I'm Costco mac and oh, cheese. Oh, it does say each serving of noodles and cheese is individually packaged. You can also order it on Amazon. Oh wow! It actually comes in one of like the containers, big bucket. When you buy like the five gallon paint, yeah, yeah, it's in a big like five gallon paint bucket, but it's like a hundred and twenty servings or a hundred and eighty servings, I guess. Hundred and eighty servings and separate pouches of elbow pasta. So when you're done eating the macaroni, you can use the bucket as a winter toilet. Yes, you can. Or like to drum on the street and ask for money. Yeah, because your fat ass won't be able to go anywhere else. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 27 pounds of macaroni and cheese. You know, if this was any other type of show, or if this was a YouTube show, we would be um, taping ourselves eating 27 pounds of mac and cheese. Laying on the kitchen floor. To taste it and and see if it was any good. Yeah, but um, no. Okay, so I've got one more thing on a more serious note and another musical note. All right. Uh, The Chris Cornell tribute concert happened. Uh, It was called I Am The Highway. It happened a a a little over a year past his death. And the lineup was pretty incredible. It happened in Los Angeles. They got the the Melvins, uh, Ryan Adams, and this is not only who was on there, but uh, Chris Stapleton, Soundgarden, uh, the remaining members of Soundgarden. Of course, Chris Cornell, if you guys don't know out there, was a, the lead singer of Soundgarden uh, and Temple of the Dog and Audio Slave. So, Audio, yep. so Audio Slave was there. Metallica, Dave Grohl, Josh Holm, Josh Om, the guy from Queens of the Stone Age. Miley Cyrus, Adam Levine, Geezer Butler, Wow, that's two Black Sabbath references in one episode. Yep, it sure is. Uh, Stone Gossard and Jeff Ament of Pearl Jam fame. Fiona Apple of someone na- whose name I haven't heard in about 15 years fame. Ziggy Marley. Oh, wow. Yeah, Ziggy Marley. Jack Buck, Jimmy Kimmel, Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, a bunch of other people were there as well. Uh, some of the things that I got a chance to see. So first of all, um, the, the Miley Cyrus performance uh, blew me away. and Yeah, and um, it was incredible. I, I mentioned that to you the other day. I saw just a real quick 
blurb. I believe it was on blabbermouth.net where the quote said something to the effect of Lars Ulrich on Miley Cyrus's performance. Wow. It blew me away. And there was a picture of Miley, Miley Cyrus standing next to, to Lars. Um, mm-hmm. So I looked it up and damn, it was incredible. Yeah, they did. Uh, she did the Temple of the Dog song, uh, Say Hello to Heaven. And that song all like I had a really hard time listening to that song for a while after my dad passed away. Um, and then I finally like convinced myself to listen to it. And uh, you know, maybe, I don't know, three years ago, four years ago. But hearing her do it, it was and I, I actually like her quite a bit, but completely like it was weird because when they announced her, the crowd that was clearly heavily skewed towards rock fans kind of. Gave a polite round of applause. But, yeah. But after she tore the house down and basically said, you know, and gave a little speech afterwards about like, you know, about Chris Cornell and what his voice meant to her and stuff like that, the applause was significantly better. So she earned she earned it. And she didn't have to, but she did. Um, a couple of people weren't there that I thought was a little surprising. Um, Eddie Vedder and Mike McCready weren't there. Um, Eddie Vedder, or I think both of those guys were his roommates when the bands were just starting. Mm-hmm. And I know that it wasn't a offensive, I'm not there, it's a, a really hard to get through. Like, they're having a hard time dealing with it kind of thing. So they mm-hmm. weren't there. And Tim Comerford, who is the bass player for Rage Against the Machine, but also Audio Slave, he wasn't there. Uh, I th- believe he's the one that climbed up the statue at the that one uh, VMA Awards. like that. Yeah, culture. he was. And he yeah. wouldn't come down. Yeah. So... Kind of a weird dude. I, I he's in the Rush documentary. I just watched. And he's like covered in scabs for just randomly. He's sitting on a mountain covered in scabs. Like, so weird guy. All right. Uh, also missing was Mike Patton, vocalist of the band Faith No More. We talked about this briefly. Um, he was supposed to sing the national anthem at the uh, Los Angeles Rams game. Was forced to back out of that and forced to back out of the tribute concert because of an illness. So yeah, and then. Uh, so, you know, it was really good. You can find clips of it online. I highly suggest doing it. Um, they did close the show with Black Hole Sun, which is like the most famous of the of the Soundgarden songs uh, with uh, who, for Peter Frampton played on it. Brandy Carlisle, some of the original guys from Soundgarden, of course, uh, they did interview the Pearl Jam bassist Jeff Ament. And he said that the uh, that the new album is halfway done, which is something I covered in the past. And uh said that I think when Chris Cornell passed, it's been really tough on to wrap our heads around and there's just like life stuff. So they, they've had a, a little bit of a hard time with it because all those bands are really close and they grew up together and it's Seattle. It was a very close community, but they're just going to keep plugging it away. And hopefully, you know, in the, by the end of the year, they'll have an album out. So I will have something to listen to a lot. A lot. Yep. A lot. Now something is going to make a return here and we're going to do a quick snap decision. <gasps> ba ba ba. So, Rob and I turn Jimmy to the dark side, mm. and he has joined up with the cell phone or mobile game Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. What do you think, Jimmy? You know, putting on the spot, this is my snap decision. Only great. for you. All right, so I caved the other day. Um, Monday, you were talking about it, and I said, you know what? I think I downloaded it before. I actually hadn't. Um, I thought I did. So I downloaded it again and I said, all right, you know, what the hell? I'll give it a shot. Very adamantly said, I'm not spending any money on this. Greg says, you don't have to. We'll show you the way. So let me tell you guys, this game plays like a video game. 
Um, and that's, it's very, it's very engaging. It's addictive to a point. Um, but when I was watching the movie that we're going to cover here in a little bit, Willow yesterday, I just kind of had it absently in my hand and I was just battling, So did you know, <laughs> we had a payout. <laughs> yeah. Well, you guys had a, had a bigger reason, I guess. I'm just trying to level up. Um, it's a lot of fun because they said, you know, when you get to level this, you can unlock this feature and you get to this level, you unlock this feature and it just really opens the game up. So it plays a lot like an RPG really brings me back to the days of like a final fantasy three or four with the turn-based combat. And, um, I'm having a lot of fun with it. I found that, yeah, you, you really don't need to spend any money, um, unless you want to, and that's okay, but it certainly feels more like a video game than Pokemon does. Excellent. So thanks. I'm looking forward to, uh, getting up to that level. And uh, I, I will have to say, the once you get into like the community side of it, it's actually a pretty fun community. And I will give a shout out to mine and Rob's guild here, the Ewokin guild, and I've said before, fifty dead men Ewokin, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. solo and the guys. There you go. There's your shout out. We got yeah. one more guy coming up. Yeah, I'm I'm getting there. It's uh it's a lot of fun. Um, there have been a couple of nights where I'm like, all right, just one more, just. Okay, just all right, just one more, um, and that was since Monday, so it's a problem. He, he's right there waiting with his uh, Ewok Scout and his uh, Clone Wars Chewbacca. Yep, I'm gonna go. Cam- I'm going camping this weekend, and I'm going to ignore Kerwin the whole time, uh, <laughs> and I'm just gonna play Star Wars Heroes. Awesome. So he's gonna blame me on that. He's gonna blame me for that one as well. Cool. So thanks, guys. I finally caved. Excellent. Yay! So. Shall we move on to uh, our, our first new little segment thing? What's sure. the new segment where we are, are revisiting past topics? Oh yeah. So, oh wait, I had one more one more snap decision for oh, you guys. Shit. Oh, oh, you gotta add this stuff to this to the uh, uh, list. double man. Okay, bring um, the pain. I, I just want to know what you guys think. He's gonna be like, he's gonna be like, how much it, of a twenty-seven pound bo- <laughs> container of macaroni and cheese could you beat? Because I might have bought well, one the other day. I, I've looked into it a little bit more. Um, I mean, I don't know much about the rules or anything like that. But we're coming up on the inaugural season, the inaugural week of the AAF. Oh. They are starting the week after the Super Bowl. Uh, the games oh, yeah. Be, the games will be televised one a week. There's only eight teams in the league, and I believe CBS has picked up the, the TV, the TV rights for it, and they'll be televising one game a week. We actually have... A local team, the Orlando Apollos. We do is with uh, football coach Steve Spurrier. Yeah, Steve Spurrier is going to be the coach, and it's and looking at some of the the quote unquote star names that have signed up, it's basically a bunch of NFL castoffs, people who are not good enough to play in the NFL. My question is, is do or you did play think... in the NFL and then retired? I've noticed a few of those too, or not retired. Well, no, I mean, like, it's guys like faded out, like Josh Johnson, Christian Hackenberg. Um, I mean, it's, it's guys that have washed out of the NFL. A lot of guys have washed out of the NFL. Um, do you think there's a market for what essentially will amount to minor league football being that we already have that in arena league, or do you think this is, this is something that will die out after like one or two years? Like the All right, I'll go first time around, go for yeah, it. First time around. How's it going to do it the second time around? Um, arena football league, I have a lot of trouble connecting with mm-hmm. because isn't the, um, the field is is half, right? Yes. It's only 50 yards. Mm-hmm. And they start in this really weird formation where they just kind of sprint 
the wide receivers just sprint. There's really no run game in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've always had a hard time connecting with that. Now, the AAF, however, I think could, I, I think they've stealthily introduced this to like undermine the XFL and, and take their foothold on it. I don't know when the XFL season is supposed to start. Uh, next year, I believe. But we figured out. Yeah, next year. But winter, like after NFL season or. Yeah, it won't. Spring. Nothing will ever go up against the, X- the NFL because they get crushed. Yeah. But the AAF, um, they're going to be playing. Uh, the Apollos are going to be play- playing their games at their home games at um, UCF ah. right down the street from us. I don't know that it's going to be huge. I'd like to see it do well and i think it could because there is definitely a desire from a you know a, a want from a lot of people for football in the off season as well so um i'm rooting for him i'm going to follow it and wow i can't believe christian hackenberg already huh mm-hmm. he was supposed to be like the jet savior right well there's been a lot of jets saviors true like captain but, but jet, let's go through saviors yeah that's true uh I think it could do well. I, I I don't know. What do you think, Greg? What do you think before we get to wrap? Well, one, I think that they went the right route where a lot of the players and coaches are from areas where the teams are. Like they didn't, mm-hmm. you know, the Orlando team got Steve Spurrier, as you said, from Florida. So there's going to be a lot of Florida fans that want to see him. Uh, they also just hired as their uh, DB's coach, Mr. Lethal Lido Shepard, who played for the Gators, but also played for the Eagles. Mm-hmm. Some of the names are actually there, and I think there will be some curiosity. Uh, it's very clear the games are not going to be as good as the NFL games. Abundantly clear. Yeah, I mean, it's... I honestly think its success will be if if it stays on brand. Because you can go a couple ways with this. One, you can go, hey, this is a family-friendly thing. You can go. It's not super expensive. You can have fun. You can see the games. You can support your local team. And that's it. Or they can kind of do what the Arena League did, where it was for a long time. It was like, oh, let's get really drunk and watch people there's, you know, play football and the cheerleaders dressed all slutty and stuff like that. It was kind of, and then all of a sudden they changed mm-hmm. to like family friendly and it like, yeah. like, uh, and then teams like left their city and yeah, like I didn't, came. I don't need slutty cheerleaders and, uh, you know, well, it's okay because the announcers will or, swear. Like, no, like that's fine. Go, I don't need extreme, which not to bash the XFL already without knowing what they're going to do, but yeah, like minor league, minor league baseball has a market. And if they market it, if a minor league baseball team markets itself correctly, they have a crowd. Um, the Toledo mud are famous for that. Um, there's a, there's a team called the blue crabs up in Maryland. That's like pretty famous for um, a small team and it sells out stuff because they do community stuff and it's, a cheap way for families to go see a to see a football game. So I think if yep. they go that route, then it will be successful. Although not billion dollar successful, it'll mm-hmm. just it'll sustain itself. That's my thoughts. Hmm. All right, Rob, you pose the question. What do you think? I think that they can survive as long as they remember who they are, and by that I mean. Remember that you are essentially a minor league because if you start pricing tickets like the NFL prices tickets, people are going to tell you to go F yourself because you're not yeah, putting no the same quality. What's that? I said, yeah, no one's going to go. If yeah, you're, you're not putting the same quality product on the field that the NFL is putting on. Um, 
just because the you know the play you're the money's not there. You're not going to get the big name players because you're not going to be able to pay them like the NFL can pay. Um, but I think as long as they remember who they are, there could be a market for it. Now it would be interesting to see if it ends up being a duel between the Arena League and essentially the AAF or the minor leagues for, for mm-hmm. football to see if one of them edges the other one out of, you know, out of survival. But I, I think that there could be a market for it because there are teams in air. Well, no, I guess in areas that don't have football teams, like Orlando doesn't have a football team. So they got an more. AAF team, but there are teams in other areas that actually do have um teams and and just to just to recap the uh the the teams are the Arizona Hotshots, the Atlanta Legends, both of those areas have team have NFL teams. Um mm-hmm. the Birmingham Iron, I don't well New Orleans is in Uh they have a semi professional team called the Alabama Crimson Tide. Ah, who would lose to any <laughs> professional team by the way. Um they have the <laughs> the, Mem- the Memphis Express the Orlando Apollos, the Salt Lake Stallions, the San Antonio Commanders, and San, San Diego got a team back because they now have the San Diego Fleet. Uh, isn't yeah. Fleet the name so, of an enema? It is. And I'm and saying. by the way, the San Diego Fleet were the team were the team that got quarterback Josh Johnson. Okay. Um, I believe and their coach the, is actually Mike Martz. The fleet in this case refers to the uh, naval presence in San Diego, not I, an enema. I believe you are correct. Gotcha. That brings us to our first topic of the week, and that is the new M. Night Shyamalan movie, Glass. Have either of you guys seen it? No. No. All right. So I've written my description to be relatively spoiler-free. Now, yeah, uh, if you don't know, Glass is the final chapter of the Shyamalan comic inspired movie trilogy that being said there are only three m night Shyamalan movies i like and that is you guessed it unbreakable split and glass now m night Shyamalan is pretty famous for his twists that he likes to throw into his movies that sometimes it just are yeah for the most part in my opinion are not great they're not great twists So, spoiler alert, you have something like The Village where, hey, you know, it's just a secluded cult in the woods that use these super cool, scary characters, but they're just people wearing masks, and there's no... Or, the aliens are afraid of water! Um, That's the ongoing joke in my house, the water thing, because I'm I'm the person that will, will take the glass of water to bed every night, fall asleep after drinking half of it, and then, like... Get, bring the next glass of water throw it and on you either alien. end up spilling it on everything or you end up with like five glasses by the end of the week i never my, do that yeah my and my wife is like are you waiting for aliens to come what's the deal <laughs> no so jen does that and it drives me insane because she actually spills it oh jeez, like, like all the time i've never done that uh I, I've, I've spilled it twice ever and it was a while ago so now i'm a little more careful but anyway continue all right, so I, I was going to ask you guys, you know, what what do you think of the Shyamalan twist? Are you fans? Like, do you have a favorite Shyamalan movie? Um, I do. The only one that I actually really, the only one that I actually really liked was The Sixth Sense. Okay, yeah, Sixth Sense for me. As I well. did not see Unbreakable, Split, or Glass yet. So, 
I heard, and the reason I didn't see Unbreakable was because everybody I talked to said it was super slow. It is yeah. probably considerably slow paced. It was sort of slow paced for back then, but very slow paced for now. A lot of his movies are paced differently. They're paced like foreign films. It's like the happening and the, like a lot of them are really, really slow paced because he's going for suspense. And the thing is, it seems like everything holds on a beat for a little bit longer than it should. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something I just, I've always noticed about his stuff. I, I picture him sitting in a crowd, you know, on the premiere night and he just puts his hands up and he goes, huh? Huh? Yeah. For a little bit too long. He's that guy. Mm-hmm. I have like parts of a lot of his movies. Um, I loved, I loved the sixth sense. I still remember who I saw it with. Where mm-hmm. I saw it, where I even remember where I sat. And whoever said they knew that twist was coming is a damn liar. Yeah, I, I believe I know. There's one person I believe that was actually true, and it was because they picked out the fact that he was wearing the same clothes throughout the thing. And then, and then the the woman that said it, this is a, some celebrity or something, like mm-hmm. said like the woman that said it didn't quite catch the twist, but the after she said it, she was like, "Why does he have any other clothes?" And the, her husband was like, "Oh, gotcha." There's that like. I thought some of the visuals and signs were pretty creepy. Like the the thing running along the top of the roof, like that you get that you catch it in the kid's birthday video, mm-hmm. like generally genu- generally gave me like a, a weird feeling. Um, it stuff like it, that, like moments, but not the full movie. The the water one with like the mermaid, lady in the water. Still no idea what that was. No, no I, I was like, what? Yeah. And then you're left wondering, what the hell did I just watch? I, that was like a, a very early movie that I watched with a, with my now wife, and like I think we had been dating for like only a few months, and there was a little bit of fear that I was going to be like, "Well, that sucked," and she would be like, "That was amazing. That was great." And but at the end, like, she was like, "What the hell did we just watch?" And I'm like, "Oh, thank God." <laughs> uh, the Village was the only movie I've ever walked out on. Wow. Um, yeah. So that being said, I think Unbreakable. Split and Glass were the most straightforward of his movies. Okay. I think they're real passion projects for him. Um, he is certainly very learned on comic books and, you know, comic mythology. Um, so you could even see Glass on its own. And that's not a, that's not like a rousing backing for mm-hmm. it. Um, that is because they talk a lot. And that's one of my problems that I had with the movie was there's a lot of like psychoanalysis happening. Mm-hmm. Um, there, uh, basically, and you can see it from a tra- the trailers, a psychologist brings in Mr. Glass, um, the Horde, um, and David Dunn, aka the Overseer. And she's trying to explain to them that you guys aren't superheroes. This is all in your head. You're crazy and you belong in a mental institution basically. And you're all criminals. So there's a lot of that. A lot of that. Despite one of my favorite parts of it was getting right off the ground almost immediately, very early in the movie, you have a fight between the Beast and the Overseer, which was badass. Who is the Overseer? The Overseer is David Dunn. He's played by Bruce Willis. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And, and I'm so always he- thrown because that it sounds like a villain's name. Th- well, they just started calling him the Overseer in in glass oh okay um you only see him at the very end of split i think this movie this trilogy would not be what it is without having bruce willis james mcavoy and samuel l jackson because they are fantastic 
And and I I haven't seen it, but I have heard that James McAvoy is absolutely amazing in the movie Split. He's he's yes. so good. He can just switch between these different personalities. He's extraordinarily polar opposite personalities. Um, you know, all within the same character, and he can be the beast, which is this just super intimidating, super strength monster. Mm-hmm. Um, he is absolutely fantastic in Split and Glass. Um, let's see some of the other things I, I didn't really like. M Night Shyamalan has feels that he needs to write himself into every movie. He has to have a cameo, which I I get it. It's a little self indulgent, but he's but you're not, not Alfred a, Hitchcock. You're not a great actor, dude. There was a, a scene in there and he was kind of standing between David Dunn and David Dunn's son. And he comes into the store that David Dunn owns and he's like, oh, hey, man, I recognize you. Remember me? You used to work at the stadium, which is a, a throwback to Unbreakable, where he was like bringing drugs into the stadium. And he's like, oh, yeah. Hey, man, turn my whole life around. Yeah, doing great. <laughs> and it's just stupid. Like it offers no value to the rest of the movie. Um it's very wordy, so there's a lot of psych talk. Um, it's more mind gamey than it is punch, punch, kick, kick. So if that's not your thing, you might want to avoid it. I, I like uh, the punch, punch, kick, kicking. I do too, and the, the fight scenes in there are great. You only really have two, three, two and a half, though. Um, there's a scene towards the end of the movie where the overseer for some reason breaks up a fight between two other characters. And I'll just say that. And he steps in and he goes like, he, he, he's like about that kneeling thing, huh? Just kind of like, all right, now let's fight. It's like, why did you do that? Why would you do that? You had an advantage. Like what, why did you do that? Mm-hmm. It was just a, it was a dumb decision in the movie. Um, what I liked about the movie, no one missed a beat on their roles, even though Gla- uh, Unbreakable came out 19 years ago. Bruce Willis picks up right where he left off. Um, they use the same actor that he, that played his son to be his son again, and his son was fantastic. And uh, the very early fight, like I said, between the Beast and the Overseer was one of my favorite things. And Samuel Glass with Mr. Samuel Glass. Samuel Jackson uh, with Mr. Glass's deception. He was absolutely brilliant in the movie um so i really enjoyed it yeah it did have its kind of what the fuck moments um there were a few pretentious Shyamalan moments and it's just gonna gonna happen with his his films um but it was the uh i say a fitting end to an unexpected trilogy uh nobody really knew that split was a sequel or like a continuation in the same universe of Unbreakable until the very end. And uh, Shyamalan doesn't plan on, on continuing this universe, which mm, I guess is a good thing. Um, or maybe that's the twist. And his next movie will really be part of it. Yeah. Uh, what a twist. But uh, he, he, in this, this trilogy, he created the most thought provoking and memorable characters that, you know, appear in his uh, catalog so far and uh it was it was uh it was a fitting end it closed up nicely and there wasn't there was a twist and it was kind of like what the fuck what what is that shit you know but i i can it wasn't like a 
oh, the refrigerator is actually the monster, you know, like kind of thing. Or Godzilla is actually a porcupine, you know. Um, it, it was good, and I, I definitely recommend it. Um, if you're into kind of slow burn thrillers, then, uh, you know, you can check it out without actually having seen Unbreakable or Split. So cool. I give it one and a half thumbs up. Not bad, not bad. And also, I saw it in a theater that had like reclining seats, so it was very wordy and very quiet at times. So every like couple of minutes, it just sounded like somebody was ripping out a long fart <laughs> from like reclining. Rob, I thought you did not see the movie. I have not seen the movie, but I stopped in just to see Jimmy. Oh, you just you just hung out in the theater. Jimmy was at yeah, just stood there and ripped off high pitched farts. According to our scale, Jimmy, where would you rate it? I would rate this as a um, Tuesday five dollar movie, not okay. a uh, not a go out and have dinner, you know, not make a real night. night. It. No, Full but price. definitely, definitely check it out in the theater with other people who are you know not invested a, in it. Not a matinee, but a five dollar no, Tuesday. Not a matinee, not a not a dollar theater night, but definitely five dollar okay. Tuesday. I'd check it out. I enjoyed it. Uh, well, here on the Give Me Five podcast, we're usually pretty lighthearted, and you know, usually we'll fill uh, most of our episodes with fun stuff. Usually. Yeah. Then there's this movie, which was one of the more affecting movies that I've ever had the opportunity to see. It is the They Shall Not Grow Old. It's a documentary about World War One, which, oddly enough, a lot of people don't really know much about World, World War One because World War Two kind of gets more press, more coverage in school. It does. I talk more about the atrocities and stuff, but uh, World War One was pretty brutal. It was like really kind of the, one of the first wars that technology made it a lot easier to kill large amounts of people because of machine guns and things like that. And they were still kind of using outdated techniques in a way. So They Shall Not Grow Old it is produced and uh, directed by Peter Jackson, who of course did the Lord of the Rings things. He was approached about four years ago by uh, the Imperial War Museum to make a documentary about World War One. And it wasn't really out of the blue. His grandfather fought in World War One. He basically had open the ability to get as much actual footage from the Imperial War Museum, from what Sydney had, what France had, what America had, you know, all this like footage, very early uses of video cameras of this war starting, but a lot of it was kind of destroyed. So he didn't really know what he was going to do going into it. And what he basically said, and he actually introduces this movie when you see it in the theater, he said, like, we wanted the story to form itself. We we didn't know what we were going to be doing. We just wanted to look at the footage, look at everything, and see what that tells us. And the end goal that ended up being was, uh, what was it like to live and fight in the Western Front from 1914 to 1918, which is when millions of people were dying, basically. Um, mm -hmm. So what they did was they grabbed this footage that I talked about, and it was... Uh, it's so archive footage. It was shot on the front lines for the most part. Not a lot of battle scenes, but I'll get to that. They took that. They took some uh, actual quotes from the veterans, people that actually fought there. And they actually had this stuff because the BBC recorded it. So they had a bunch of veterans, a lot of veterans come in and talk about their experiences in the 50s and 60s before some of them passed away. Well, I mean, all of them are gone now. But again, we'll talk about that in a second, too. And then they basically cut together all of these firsthand accounts to tell a story. You know, from why did they sign up? What was their life like before? You know, they knew Germans, like some of the people in the war had just played rugby against some of the, some of the Germans, that kind of stuff. You know, what 
made them decide to leave and go fight? How, are they upset that they did go fight? And then they, they go through all the story. They cut it all together from beginning to end. And then they found the footage that kind of matched up with what the words were saying. So it's kind of interesting because, like, you don't hear a narrator at all. Like, I was wondering how they were going to do it because I saw the trailer and I'm like, I have to see this. I love history. I didn't know a lot about World War One, and I, like, knew things. Uh, like, hearing the actual voices over and over again at the beginning, I was like, hey, this is kind of interesting. It's kind of weird. And then the other thing they did was they took some took as much of the footage as they could and they corrected it because like you've all seen old footage where it kind of jumps around like up and down kind of mm-hmm. well that's because the footage is so old that the the sprocket holes that the that the film projector kind of pulls through they start squishing down or elongating uh-huh. which causes it to pull and hit the light at different times so they had to fix that um you know they fixed that they some of these pieces of footage had been like copied and duplicated like three, four times. So it lost quality. Some of them were pitch black. Some of them were overexposed. All of the stuff they had to go in and fix. Uh, then they had realized, and I'm sure you've all seen this, but like, you know, you watch like old baseball footage and it seems like everyone's moving really, really fast. Yeah. Like they do a thing where they like wave and then like they swing their bat and what you know, whatever. It always seems too fast. That's because the stuff was shot by someone cranking the camera by hand. So if you crank the camera too fast, too fast. Crank it too slow, too slow. Well, you got to remember, these guys were doing it while they were being shot at. So the footage is kind of bad, so they had to fix that. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty incredible. Um, you showed, you described to me how this footage was in a, a like a tiny little window. And then they show in the trailer that it expands to full screen and, and turns to color. So why don't you, you talk to, why don't you describe that? It was, it was really neat. Like it starts off, and so you've got your full screen. You know, but they only have like a little tiny window in the middle and it's showing the people signing up for the war and like these long lines of people and you hear all these voices and that's all black and white. Mm-hmm. And then they go through training and of course the, you know, them laying down on the ground and practicing firing their rifles, all this stuff that's classic footage, but it was in 3d. So looking through that window actually made it look like you were looking through like a, almost like a hole cut in a card or something like a square. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they get to the battlefield, that square enlarged. It's actually been slowly enlarging through the whole movie, I think. The first, like, 20, 30 minutes of the movie. And as soon as they hit that battlefield, that big field where it's all green at the moment, but the occasional shell is dropping, everything goes color. So they recreated the colors, too. Oh, wow. And I wondered if there was some sort of way that they, like, used a computer to be like, you know, this shade of gray becomes green, and this shade of gray becomes red, and that kind of thing. But it's not that. They actually went to a lot of these locations and figured out what color the grass was, what color the soil was. They had hmm. the actual uniforms in like museums and stuff, so they they like scanned the colors of like the headbands because like the one of the regiments had like a red headband on their like berets. They scanned that. They scanned German uniforms, everything to get all the uniforms right. It was really impressive. It was came to life when it went into color. Um, you know, they didn't have the sounds. Like none of this footage. It, some people call this the silent war because all the footage is quiet, but it wasn't. Yeah. But rather than go into like a sound effects library and just get like explosions and stuff, they actually shot the real cannons, shot the real howitzers, the real rifles. So what you're saying is that they didn't have Michael Bay direct it. Correct. And it was kind of weird because at the very end, Stephen or, or Peter Jackson, Stephen Jackson, isn't he like a running back? He was yes. a running back for the Rams. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Not him. Peter Jackson. He like was talking. He's like, yeah, you know, I've got a couple of these howitzers myself. So we just went out and shot them. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> 
who has a fireable World War One era howitzer just in their like what? garage. You don't? Oh, did I miss the day that they were giving out howitzers? Yeah, yeah. apparently. Damn it. But anyway, yeah, so they went out there and, and like, recorded the stuff. They not only recorded the firing, but they, like, went out to, you know, New Zealand, which is where they are, and recorded, like, what the echoes sound like in the hills, that kind of stuff. They did speech. So, that, again, these people are moving their mouths, and no one really knew what they were saying, so they hired lip readers to figure out what they were saying. And then they figured out what regiments they were in and actually matched the accents and the, what they would actually, how they would have been talking. So, obviously, not the real voice, but they knew what they were saying. Right. Uh, one actually really neat one. There's a guy giving like a speech. He's, there's like a bombed out building on the left. It's kind of a famous piece of footage because it's like a captain. All the soldiers are on the right. And he's basically saying like, make sure your wills are sent made and make sure you give me all of the letters that, you know, you've written to your family, anything that's important, stay safe. You know, it's, it's pretty good speech in a way, but you couldn't tell what he was saying because he was a little further away from the camera and he had, his mouth was kind of like low in his like collar. Mm -hmm. So they were looking through these from this regiment's like all the history. They found this piece of paper and the guy's holding a piece of paper in the video. And they're like, hmm. So Peter Jackson recorded on his cell phone him reading that piece of paper like in a couple different speeds and then lined it up and it lined up like almost perfectly. So like wow. it occurred to him that that is the actual piece of paper that he's holding in the footage. Um, really cool stuff like that. Uh, it's a very tough movie to watch. Uh, I mean, I, I kind of went into it thinking, well – you know, everyone in this movie is dead anyway. So would yeah. it, and they would, even if they didn't die in battle, they would have been dead now anyway. So is that going to lessen the blow of seeing what will be grizzly war footage? And it turns out it did not. Mm -hmm. Like there are a couple people that you see like that are shell shocked. Like there's one scene where there's people like leaving the battlefield and one of them has like bandages all over his face with like blood seeping through it. And he's just walking normally, just like we would be walking around like a grocery store. But the guy behind him, and they don't really focus the camera on him, but I could see it. He was shaking uncontrollably. Like, he had this look on his face like, get me out of here. Uncontrollable shaking and just look, look like life had been drained from his body. It was it was very affecting. Um, mm. And, you know, a couple other little things. They talk about, like, the end of the war. Basically, the war, it covers signing up for the war, holding the line, and then a lot of the soldiers left the front line to go work on, you know, they were done. So they went and like worked on supplies and making sandbags and doing stuff like that. And they got called back up. And when they got called back up, they were going to actually advance. And that's when like the real carnage happened. So you definitely, and they didn't have, they have no footage of the actual battles, like the real fighting, because what are you going to do? Have a giant camera with a dude, like, you know, having to hold still and like do the thing, you know, like the, the standing there hand cranking. Yeah. So there is none of that. So what they did was, Throughout this thing, you saw a bunch of people doing regular everyday stuff, you know, sleeping or joking around, hitting. There's one clip in the trailer of, like, a guy bopping another dude on the head with, a, with like, a stick as they're, like, marching. Mm -hmm. So they show clips of this stuff while they're talking about the fighting, and then they cut to the actual bodies of some of these people that you just saw. Oh, wow. Like, it might not be the actual people, but they're, it's close enough to where the point is across that 30 minutes ago, these guys were joking around. They got the call to go forward, and now they're gone. Uh, one of the locations he went to looks exactly the same. It's like a farmer's path, which I'm sure you've seen like a lot in movies, like kind of a path along the outside of like forest, where it's like farmland on one side and then forest on the other. And they see all these guys like huddling up against the forest, and so this is like they're they were getting ready to go attack the Germans. And he's like, "There's a pretty good chance that this is the last 30 minutes of all these guys' lives." 
because like that first that first round of soldiers that went across had no idea that the Germans had so many machine guns over there. There's like 30 stations or something, and yeah. they they were just destroyed. So it was very like, mm. and that was like the first group getting ready to go. So it's like whoa, um, and it, it covers all the way up to the armistice. And basically, the way the armistice worked for them, they got noticed that like on a certain day the attacks are going to stop. Great, what day is it today? You know, like what day? You know, like on the twentieth or something. What day is that? Oh, that's today. And then they said it just went quiet, and everyone just left, like the end of a football game. And they said it was so it just definitely quiet because there was millions of shells fired, constant bombardment. And then it just stopped. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guys then went home and, you know, that was their job for four years. They didn't know what they were going to do next. Some of them signed up when they were 15. So now they're 19. And, um, you know, so just, it was incredible. It was a, I highly suggest yeah. seeing it. Just a couple of my little thoughts. One, I never, I thought of trench warfare. Like I knew about it. I played video games with it, but there was so much stuff about like, just like the hygiene and stuff like that, that I never thought about. Like, you know, the fact that there's, you know, rats and lice and you can't shower and you're wearing the same stuff for weeks. And I know it sounds like a stupid little thing, like trench foot. There's some very, like, them pulling socks off of people and their foot just, their feet are just gone, like rotted away. Um, you know, stuff like that that didn't occur to me. Uh, they mentioned that, you know, some of the soldiers were signed up and lied about their age. They were like 15 years old, 14 years old, and said they were 18 just so they could fight. And that... A lot of these people had never seen movie cameras before. So when you watch the footage, really? yeah, because it was, I mean, it was 19, whatever. They had seen f- regular cameras, but not movie cameras. Yeah. So if you watch the footage, some of them will look right at the camera and are like amazed, like in the middle of a war scene, you know, like they're getting shelled and they turn around, and they're like smiling at the camera and waving and whatever. Other guys freeze because they're so used to yeah. cameras. Yeah. Like it's neat. Holding holding for a still shot. Yeah, because, like, they had to sit still for, like, okay, you have to sit still for 10 seconds. So they would look at the camera and freeze. And then, like, something would happen, you know, like, they would fire the howitzer, and the person that was freezing for the camera will have to, like, put the next shell in or something. And they're like, oh, yeah. And, like, they have to do it. Um, you know, just little things like that. Uh, and, you know, like, I think it should be must-see for anyone that wants to, like, glorify that kind of violence and that kind of war or wants to, you know, disregard what soldiers... I mean, obviously, it was different then and now and whatever but still like seeing what that kind of battle is like you know it's it's i think it's one of those should be like a must-see movie for anyone to understand you know what happens in war so highly suggested it's i believe it's available on demand some places limited release in theaters yeah when i looked it up earlier it was on like pre-order um that was on i think youtube but yeah, I feel like I've missed my opportunity to see it in a theater, but I'm, I hate to say I'm excited to see it, uh, based on your description, but I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it when it, you know, does hit VOD. Um, you know, having watched Ken Burns documentary on Vietnam, um, and that's, you know, this documentary, documentary is even earlier, so, you know, even that technology wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll definitely check it out. My description, I, I talked about some of the more shocking or whatever moments. The guys in the clip are are not all dour. I mean, yes, the bombardment had an effect, but you see them joking around. You see them making do with what they have. So there's a little bit of mm-hmm. uh, kind of an interesting. Yeah, there's some tense humor, I guess. There's uh 
Yeah, that's kind of the and and when they ask them like, do you regret signing up? No one says they do. They're like, well, no. Like, well, you but you lost friends. Yeah, but we fought for our country. We, you know, I I wasn't n- none of us were forced to be here, and I wouldn't have it any other way, kind of thing. So was, I thought that was actually very interesting. But and that's a far different mentality than what we have today. Yeah, it's. I mean, it was a far different mentality when people were drafted into it too. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, I think, where some of that change happened. Anyway, so on that more serious note, I think we need to jump over to Willow. <laughs> Thanks for that bummer burger. I know, right? Hell yeah, yeah. So I think we're going to move on from that big bummer sandwich that Greg fed us to Willow. Um, and this was one that I really wanted Greg to see after I had heard that he hadn't ever seen it. First off, I was like, how can you not have ever seen that movie? You Which is crazy. I know. I mean, you grew up in the same decade that I did, and this was this is totally right up our alley. And I was just surprised that you had never seen it. Well, okay, let's. I'm looking this up right now. You said earlier it came out in 1988. I would like to know the exact date. Uh, May twentieth. Yeah, May twentieth. Okay, so I moved to Florida uh, June 10th of 1988. So when that movie came out in the theaters, I was in the process of moving from. Pittsburgh to Florida. Now, my first thing I remember of that was seeing one of those um, magazines. I think it actually was a, might have been a Mad magazine that had Willow on the cover of it. Mm-hmm. A Mad um, Mardigan? Yeah, a Mad Mardigan. Mad Mardigan. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's Mad the first Robigan. time I ever saw it. And I believe there's also some other magazine because, like, you know, when when you first move to a place and you're young, your parents are busy buying furniture and doing all sorts of boring stuff, so you kind of hang right. out in the magazine section of the store or the book section of the store because when they had the big like walmarts and stuff so i remember i definitely remember seeing about it but i thought it was i didn't realize it was out at that point anyway i had seen parts of it clips things like that but it just never occurred to me to actually see it because by the time i would have seen it i felt like it would kind of have been passed by by other movies that had the same general feel but more effects better everything so that was why it that's why it took me so long to see it well it was written by george lucas it was directed by Ron Howard. And like we said, it was released in 1988. It does star Warwick Davis, who we all know and love. He he also played Wicket the Ewok in, in Return of the Jedi. He played Professor Flitwick in the Harry Potter movies. Mm-hmm. So if, you, if you've seen a famous role with a little person, it was probably Warwick Davis. And he, he played also, the Leprechaun. And he also was uh, Star Wars Weekends at... Disney every yes. year, and he hosts the any of the new announcements, which is always cool, right? And and he he was the leprechaun in all the leprechaun movies, but uh, not all had, of them. Not all of them. I thought he was all of them. No, there's been two. There was Leprechaun Origins, which starred um, Hornswoggle from the WWE. Oh, okay. And the uh, most recent one starred someone else and i'll look that up while you continue but but like leprechaun one two three and four and and leprechaun in the hood those were all warwick davis right yeah they were uh i think lyndon porco is the new leprechaun gotcha but it also stars joanne wally a dreamy young val kilmer pre-throat cancer Mm. yeah yeah and basically the the story is willow who is of a race known as Nelwins, is a farmer and basically a novice magician because he doesn't really do any magic, but he performs magic tricks, if you will. 
Yeah, some sleight of hand. Right, right. And he reluctantly agrees to protect and transport a baby that's prophesized to end the evil queen Bavmorda's the evil queen Bavmorda and her reign of terror. And you know they find this baby in a very Moses esque way. Yeah, <laughs> the baby is kind of set on a bed of reeds and floated down the river to get away from Bavmorda. And his kids find it and they kind of take the baby in. And then it's all about protecting the baby. And they're they're very the much like a, we don't need to deal with this crap. Like we're, we're yes we're we're very Hobbit like in our desire to be not part of the the big people's uh, situations. Correct. Correct. So impressions, Greg? Okay. So in some ways that what I just mentioned there with the Hobbit, there was a lot of stuff that definitely either borrowed from the past or influenced future things. Absolutely. So there was, there was a lot of stuff that was like, Oh, that's just like this. And I, in in my mind, I'm like, Oh, okay. That, yeah, that was from the Hobbit. So that was before from the book, the Hobbit. But then there's also some other stuff. I'm trying to remember some very specific things, but just some ideas that I was like, Oh, Wow, that other movie that I've seen recently kind of took that same idea, which I thought was kind of mm-hmm. interesting, which I did think was kind of interesting. Uh, I definitely had to tone down my opinions of various special effects and things like that and remember when it was made, mm-hmm. uh, particularly like every time the brownies were on there, because you have to remember both Jimmy and myself where we grade special effects projects. Mm-hmm. So every time the brownies were there, particularly when they were on his hand, I believe, right, um, and in his like pouches and stuff. It was shifting around, so I was like, "Oh God," because like that's just something I I I noticed, and it was very hard to like pull myself away from that. Um, although knowing when it was done, it was pretty impressive for its time. Um, I, I do think Val Kilmer was dreamy, as uh, I believe Jimmy wrote, but Rob said, and I it did was, write that it was not uh, too far away from Top Gun to where he still, if you looked closely, I I did feel like playing shirtless volleyball with him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I believe I said that when we were watching it, so I thought that was good. Yes, you did. Yeah. I definitely thought it was interesting not having ever seen the movie that the dude with the uh, the big skull mask. Mm-hmm. I've seen that design a bunch of places for other things. Yeah, I've seen it on the posters. I've seen it on books. I've seen him a lot, and he was nowhere near as scary as that mask would imply. Particularly when the no. particularly when the mask was off, it does remind me that movies in the eighties, seventies, whatever, uh, were allowed to have unattractive people in it. Where even today, or yes. even today, the even the big the big bad guys are also still dreamy, like they don't. They don't hire unattractive people anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I had this vision in my head that, you know, I was actually kind of looking forward to where the the guy with the skull mask, um, it was revealed that he was James Earl Jones. And when it wasn't uh, upon my watching it again yesterday, I was like, wait a minute. That wait. Huh? Well, I was thinking of Conan the Barbarian. No, oh. because didn't he have a skull mask um, in it? I'll, I'll have to double check on that. I don't, maybe it was my young mind, but, um, I'm going to make a weird connection here real quick. Rob, you might appreciate this. Mm-hmm. Um, go for it. And I just realized that when I was reading and I do plan on continuing with it, uh, Codex Alera, mm-hmm. um, every time Tavi is mentioned or, you know, he's got a, a thread there or something, I always picture Warwick Davis from Willow as being Tavi. Really? I do, yeah. Huh. So that's just how I see Tavi in my head. Wait, Tavi's in that too? Tavi's from Codex Alera. But Tavi's yes, Tavi is also in Mistborn. No. Mm-mm. Is he? I, I don't know. I, I haven't know. read Like Mistborn. I said, the fantasy books just go, like, they're gone. Like, as soon as I, like, midway through reading. Yeah, well, that was kind of why I was surprised you tried to correct him. <laughs> no, I was having this conversation today, and I totally thought that, so what's, 
So wait, eh, okay, well, whatever. I had this conversation with someone today, and they did not correct me when I was talking about it, so apparently they were wrong too. So I totally thought that Toddy oh, was well. in Mistborn, but apparently not. Uh, definitely, there's a couple little things that, that stick out about all fantasy movies, and speaking of pulling stuff from the past, um, I don't think anyone ever has ever really talked like the um, the older, what did you say they're called, the, the critters? Uh, the little people, what are they called again? The critters, the, the Nelwyn. Nelwyn, yeah, Nelwyn. And the, I'm going to correct myself here. I don't think actually James Howard Jones wore, wore a skull mask in Conan. So, well, we're we're just all wrong. Here. Sorry, guys. Connections. Do yep. not do not Sorry, go guys. on Jeopardy and try to answer using any of our information. So we have the um the the older Nelwyn character that, of course, talks like you know, what are you doing? like that kind of voice, which is right out of Monty Python. Where they have like all those, yeah. You know, what is your name? Yeah, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. No one ever talked like that, but I'm convinced that because nice he, pretty much like the that kind of voice. I think because of the, of Monty Python, the Holy Grail, like every single freaking fantasy movie has someone that has that voice, and I'm like, Ugh, no, but just keep it back there. Like no one talked like that. Um, I wasn't there. Well, I mean, I I can give that one. I can I can give that one to Willow simply because the character that I think you're referencing was a little person. It was himself. the one that was like kind of like and, there was the the one that was like the leader, the bald guy. But then there was like the other one that was kind of looked like more like a wizard kind of. Yeah, that that's the high the high yeah. Nelwyn. Yeah, <laughs> high Nelwyn. The the old wizened Nelwyn, and you know he kind of spoke in a high pitched yeah, voice. The one that ate all the pot he's, he's brownies. Uh high Nel no. Gotcha. Yeah. No. No. I'm keeping it in. Okay, so there's that. It definitely did that thing where that all of the fantasy books and stuff where they have like the the soft R names, and that drives me nuts, and I don't know why. It had no reason at all, but like Alora, like, it makes my skin crawl, and I don't know why. Um, That'll be a rant for a future yeah, right. episode. I, I I don't understand what you mean the soft R like, names. The names like the name like Alora, like the this. There's certain names in fantasy books that like as soon as they hear the name, I want to stop the book or stop the movie. Like Arwen. That's close. Kerwin? Not, yeah, Ker- definitely Kerwin. He must be oh some boy. sort of wizard. Well, see, and I, I liked the name. I actually misheard the name, though, and I misheard the name for years because I thought the name was A-L-U-R-A. I thought it was Allura. It's E-L-O-R-A. E-L-O-R-A. Mm-hmm. So. But it's, just, it's just a weird, I don't know, it's a fantasy thing. Like, I have a, a, the names are one of the reasons I have a hard time getting into fantasy novels. But, like, I'm okay with ones that are more grounded in real world like even though even though there's some like fairy and stuff in uh uh the dresden files it's a little more grounded so i thought that was yes i'm the fairy john yeah, i don't know it just it that works better for me hey guys i'm john i'm a fairy uh you got uh, grinch wishes and stuff i don't know whatever <laughs> i am the balrog sally wait what you don't know don't be don't be <laughs> don't be balrog racist <laughs> Oh. So let me give my take on on Go my review it. of Go Willow. A um, couple of uh, things to note. I, I think the humor is still there uh, watching yes. it. There, there's definitely, you know, some chuckles that you get out of it. There's some jokes that still, you know, hold true. Um, the brownies are definitely a comic relief. Mm-hmm. And, it, and the brownies are, are even smaller people. Um they're fairy size. I did like that they were making fun of the the Nelwins for being like they were making them making fun of them for being small, despite the fact that they were significantly smaller. Yeah, yeah, they're um, they're 
their will was certainly very larger than they were. Um, Mad Bargain, not the world's greatest sword fighter, as he claims, but again, he is a thief and a liar. Um, this movie falls victim to the unbelievable kind of killing where there's like a slash across the back and the guy dies immediately. That that kind of bothers me in in well, swordplay in movies. But again, this this was a product of the eighties, remember, and that was it. it was see when, when I see it, I want yeah. that person. I want to see video footage of that person slowly dying over several days from gangrene and infection. <laughs> that would make a good movie. Yeah. Uh, so not convinced that Mad Mardigan is the uh, world's greatest sword fighter, as he claims. But um, the brownies, man, uh, the part where. Um, the the one and for some reason they have French accents. Money Python. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. But uh, the one gets hit with the love spell and falls in love with the cat. Yep. Like you are the most beautiful thing love I've ever part. seen. Especially since he had a mouse on his head. Yeah, really funny. And he gets knocked into a barrel of beer. No, it's a mug of beer because he's oh. so tiny. Oh, it's a mug. Yeah, he's so tiny, and he goes beer. And then dives back in. Yeah. Uh, he would have been dead from alcohol poisoning, but um, he was drunk for like the next like 30 minutes of the movie, which is mm-hmm. really funny because I can't stand when characters in movies and this actually happened at Bird Box um, where characters get drunk and then an event happens and they're suddenly not drunk anymore. Yeah. And he and he was drunk for the whole cart chase scene, too. Yeah, he was. And it was funny. Um Graphically, the movie, it doesn't hold up. Um, it, it holds up a, about as well as Star Wars because um, the same company did the effects for it. That was Industrial Light and Magic. So some very progressive stuff at the time. But, well, but, uh, but also I think what they were trying to do wasn't near as um, ambitious as what they did in Star Wars. No, I don't think it had quite the budget. I, I, think, I, I think I misspoke that that statement because what i meant was that they were trying to do more ambitious effects than what like you had in star wars because star wars used miniatures and kind of transposed them onto a background that was like and they had lasers that they just put onto the screen on like black backgrounds or whatever they had they had real real explosions and stuff like that but the stuff that Willow was trying to do with actually shrinking down the people, putting them in things like Greg was saying, putting them in the bags where they had to mimic the movement of the bag, which they obviously didn't do very well, but shrinking them down and having them interact with, with other things that they obviously couldn't see and all of that stuff I thought was perhaps as a special effects, I thought it might've been a little bit more ambitious. I mean, you guys can probably correct me as to whether or not I'm wrong in that. I think it was more of an evolution. Mm -hmm. So yeah, some of the stuff where it's a spaceship on a black background, it was the and it was the but it was the first time they did it in Star Wars, and obviously eleven years earlier. Right. Uh, you mentioned well off the air kind of, but you mentioned lasers and stuff like that. That was all hand drawn in, like all those mm-hmm. original lasers and things like that. That was oh, okay. those are literal cartoons. Um, the lightsabers as well, for the most part. If I'm unless I'm way wrong, but I'm that pretty sure that's what it was. They eventually went in and changed it too. As they grew, there were certain things like you mentioned the black background. That's really important because when they got to Empire Strikes Back, uh-huh. one of the big problems was is the white background of the snow and the snow speeders. You could see through the the crossbars, the things that weren't windows in the snow speeder. Right. And that's one of the things that they had to fix because you could actually see through it for some reason, just the way the process was. Now, 
this, they were actually, they tended to be using real life moving objects more in Willow, but there were less shots. So I think that Star Wars was had a much bigger scope, mm-hmm. but Willow did have another level of, of difficulty in the fact that they were doing real life moving things and they were organically moving. It wasn't like, well, yeah, yeah they had an, an AT-AT in here or an AT-AT, whatever, or an ATST walking through the woods. They did, sure. but those were those were stop motion, so it was right. a little easier, and they were moving on a still frame of camera. Yeah, shot. like like the you, second you start moving that camera, things become way harder. Mm-hmm. These were the special effects shots in here were more intimate. Um, I think that makes sense in my head. Yeah, but um, as as far as graphics are concerned, man, um, the scene where Babmorda turns. The entire battlefield into pigs. Oh, yeah, that's pretty terrifying. Seeing <laughs> uh, dreamy Val Kilmer, you know, start to turn into a pig, and I thought people... that was a great use of practical effects. And, and it, it really was. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I was more scared. Well, I was more frightened by that this time than I was the uh, trolls when I remember seeing it when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, the trolls terrified me when I was younger. Um, but yeah, not so much anymore. When they were crawling, when that one was crawling upside down on the bridge, I was like, did I just see that? Yeah. They're kind of goofy looking, but you know, uh, still the, I, the rat dogs, definitely dogs in rat costumes. Yeah. Which I, which I kind of loved. Uh huh. Kind of made me want to buy my dogs rat costumes. You there should. You um, my dogs don't run. They're kind of useless. <laughs> Overall, man, I, I think it's a, a good fantasy film. It's referred to as, uh, quote, high fantasy. Um, I, I'm not sure what that means. It's better if you're high. Maybe. But, uh, back it, to the pot brownies. <laughs> call back. Hey, how many times is that this episode? But, uh, I, I think it's one that, you know, you should watch with your kids when they're, they're old enough. Um, it, it's a good, fun fantasy film. It's not a waste of time. It still holds up story wise today. And and I I I actually really like this movie. I think it I think it still holds up as far as a move as far as a movie and story standpoint goes. It's got it's yeah. got a good bit of action. It's got a good bit of comedy. It's got great acting because I thought just about everybody in the movie was fantastic. From from the brownies to Willow to Mad Mardigan to Bab Morda. You know, I, all of it, all of it was just very well done, and it's it's a feel good fantasy film, and it's it got is. and it's got a nice little a nice little callback slash twist ending at the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah, it does. I know exactly what you're talking. about. You know what about. I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How how Willow wins? Yeah, is, is basically that. But all in all, it's it's a great little fantasy film. It's very entertaining. It's a good family movie if your kids don't scare easily. Yeah, true. Um, it was filmed in the 80s, so the fight sequences aren't choreographed by today's standards. But it was still entertaining. It was a lot of fun. Comedy, action, romance. It, it had it all. So I, I highly recommend it, and it's one that you can probably watch with the kids as long as they don't scare too easily. Agreed. That brings us to our Give Me Five question of the week. What are your top five twists in movies? So surprise twist that changed the direction of the movie. What do you got? What a twist. Who's okay, going to so go first? Is it me? Should I? Well, I think the twist would be that you. this is the first time you don't go first. 
My goodness. Okay. So, my initial thought for number five was, of course... And by the way, uh, if you hate spoilers, there's going to be some here. For all of them, I'm guessing. Or do you just want to tell people to go watch it? Nah, they're old, I'm guessing. So, yeah. I, my first one, oh, no. I thought the, the Crying Game. But I actually sat through the Crying Game, and it's not a very good movie other than the twist. Did uh, you cry? So then, I did not cry. Okay. I did like the song, though. Uh, but I think... The twist that that kind of made me think about something else, and I, I went with Sleepaway Camp as my number five. Oh, did you? All right, All right. I did. So the same type of twist as Crying Game, and uh, I'll leave it there. She's got a penis. <laughs> yeah, and you see it. Uh, number four, I think I'm going to go with a movie that Jimmy absolutely hates, and I don't believe. Uh, I'm sorry, I gotta change. I gotta check something real quick. I don't remember her fucking name. All right, one moment. Okay, got it. Uh, for my number four, I'm going to go with a movie that Jimmy absolutely hates. And okay. that is actually going to be Scream. Those. Because people that went to go see Scream thought it was going to be a Drew Barrymore movie. And there was a lot of shock after the first 15 minutes of Scream when it was definitely not a Drew Barrymore movie. And, hmm. you know, they, at the time, she would have been the biggest star. She was the biggest star in that movie. Um, some of the other people went on to become a little more famous, but that was a small, low-budget movie, and she was the big name. And then they offed her very early, so that was that. I thought that was a big shock. Uh, number that. three is I still believe one of the first and only times I actually figured out the twist before it actually was revealed, and that is Usual Suspects because I was sitting with a friend of mine, and Usual Suspects was happening, and I was like, "It'd be kind of cool if you could actually just make up a story on the spot, just using things you see around a room." And the movie was ended, and they were like, dude, screw you. <laughs> it was like in our my blockbuster era, and that's like the one time I've ever been able to do that. So that made me happy. So that was Usual Suspects is my number three. I'm going to go with one we already talked about for my number two. That is The Sixth Sense. And number one, I don't— I think I know it. What do you think? Oh, go ahead. What, what, what do you think my number one is? I think it's a Brad Pitt movie. It's actually not. Ooh, okay. Mm. It could have been. I, I thought about that. It somehow got bumped off. I figured you guys would talk about it. But I don't think people remember quite as much about how surprising Empire Strikes Back really was with the no, I am your father stuff. Um, I think that because it is now in the the common lexicon and it's pop culture, everyone knows it. People back then had to be shocked when that happened. So I think that yeah. is my, my number one for that very reason. All right. <laughs> you have seen Pitch Perfect, right? No. Mm-mm. She the she says that she, he's like you guessed the single biggest reveal in movie history and she's like yeah Vader means father in German his name is literally Dark Father <laughs> oh didn't I I did not know that actually I did I didn't either <laughs> I don't know how accurate or true that is but I I remember that line just because I thought it was hilarious I'm looking well, that up next guess. okay so my number five is going to be Sleepaway Camp. As mentioned by Greg, and as elaborated on by myself, my number four is going to be the movie with Brad Pitt, and that's seven. Mm-hmm. Number three is The Usual Suspects. Number two, Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Yeah, pretty big. Yeah, pretty big twist. Yeah. Number one is going to be the one that I hold in high regard, and that is Fight Club. I knew that was going to be on somebody's list. That was actually yep, what so, I thought Greg's number one was going to be. Yeah. Brad Pitt I, made my I list thought about twice. it. Um, I'd read the book, so <laughs> it was 
it wasn't quite as much of a surprise. But uh, the the Darth Vader thing, it's um, sort of a myth because Dark is nowhere near Darth in German, so it, uh-huh. it's Dunkel, and okay. Father is not Vader; it's Vader. So it, it would be a little bit of a stretch to go from there. Dunkel's Vader, and it's Vater. Nice. Um, Dunkel Vater. And it was actually a bit of a. It was actually a little bit uh, spread by by uh, George Lucas himself. So ah, gotcha. The line still makes me laugh. It's a lot. Well, I I think most of the stuff on my list has already been mentioned, um, except for two of them. I did have a couple of honorable mentions: uh, Empire, of course, Psycho, Planet of the Apes. Those were all honorable mentions. But I'll, I think I'm going to start my list at number five with a movie that I absolutely love. I've had a couple of people watch it. The The movie itself, the entire movie, is worth watching just for the ending. I'm not going to spoil the ending for you because if you can find it, I want you to watch it. But the movie is called Digstown. It stars Lou Gossett Jr. and James Woods. Also Oliver Platt. And it is a fantastic movie. I've had a couple of people watch it. When we get to the end, they're like, Oh my God! <laughs> I really thought he was gonna I go actually with Smurfs, had, The Lost Village. I, I did. I, I actually had one friend watch it, throw his hands up in the air, and go, "That is amazing! That's fantastic!" But a, the, in my opinion, the whole movie is worth watching, and it's not a bad movie. It's it's an enjoyable movie, but the whole movie is worth watching just for the five minutes at the end, because you have to watch the whole movie to understand the five minutes at the end. So, Digstown is going to be my number five. My number four is going to be one that I absolutely loved, and it's probably my favorite M. Night Shyamalan movie to date, and that's going to be The Sixth Sense. And everybody knows that. I don't think we have to rehash that. My number three is going to be one that did Sixth Sense, but I think it did it a little bit better, and that's The Others with Nicole Kidman. That was a great little twist ending there. My number two is going to be Fight Club, but my number one has already been mentioned, but I... I think that this movie was just so masterfully written and acted and just everything from the setup to the reveal Mm -hmm. was absolutely perfect. And that's usual suspects. Yeah, definitely. So usual suspects. When you started talking about movies that you're like, Oh, not a lot of people thought of this one. I did not of course think of Digstown, but it actually reminded me of one that I should have had in my list. So I'm going to go ahead and scratch number five from the list and replace it with shallow grave, Uh which I've talked about before. So ah, okay. I'm sorry, uh, uh, sleepaway camp and your penis. Uh, I'm gonna, you're you're leaving, yeah. and your surprise penis. I'm going oh. to replace you with shallow grave. So. Your? No, that was not a surprise at all. Your penis? That's Y O R. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jimmy, close us out. You've got the floor. I do, and uh, I'm sorry for um, bringing this up to you know anyone who hasn't ever really noticed this, but uh, I got to tell you, man, something that really bothers me in movies, and um, it it happened in in Glass, is uh, why don't they fill coffee cups in movies or television? Have you guys ever noticed it that you know they they're like, oh, bring me a coffee, and they bring me a coffee, and they get it in their hand and it's just yeah, you like, mentioned this earlier and i have not watched anything uh-huh. since then but i'm going to yeah um every I, episode I, of ncis ncis um psych um you know down to the the biggest blockbuster movies they just don't fill the cups with anything for some reason and it drives me insane like 
I understand that you don't want to put hot coffee in a cup because maybe the actor is not as mindful and they might spill it on themselves, which requires a wardrobe change, which breaks the uh, continuity or of a skin graft or a skin graft. Yeah. Or, you know, but why not put water in it? Well, water would do the same thing if they spilled it because then their clothes are wet and it requires either time to dry or a um, wardrobe change. Sure. Which brings me to my next point is, okay, if you don't put water in the cup, why don't you put like a little like Ziploc bag of sand in there? Or like some sort of resin or something that's solid. Fair something. Enough. I And, you know, there I've read an article that was saying something like, oh, well, they don't want to pick up the swooshes of the, the liquid or anything like that on the um, the uh, the microphone. Yeah. But you have this hollow sounding kind of cup that hits, you know, a surface and it goes, you know, plunk. Or, and it just sounds so unnatural. And it looks so unnatural in movies. Like, guys, figure it out. Have a prop coffee mug. You should open a company that just does nothing but prop coffee mugs and Starbucks cups. I might. I, I've thought I spent all day thinking about solutions to this. You could fill it with um, a gel like a gelatin you could put jello in there and it would have the same you know weight to it instead of making everyone who's holding a coffee cup look like they're superhuman i don't understand it it's something that bothers the shit out of me in movies it totally it pulls me out of it it's a stupid thing it's a rant and that's what this section is for so and that's what really grinds your gears it it really gets my (laughs) goat um so if you guys agree, you know, let me know. Uh, if it doesn't bother you, then it's going to bother you now, and I am eternally sorry for that. Well, you know what What? what grinds my gears? What's that? Is when you tell people to contact people, when clearly on the script, it's my turn to tell people to contact people. Well, I, so, I guys, didn't give all the information, you, Greg. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So you go ahead. Anyway. It's I'm not your turn to rant, Greg. It's true. It's true. I get next week. Yes. Anyway, guys, if that bothers you, or if you have something else that bothers you, uh, you can find us on Facebook by searching for the Give Me Five podcast. Of course, F I V E four five. That's F O R five. Yeah, that was awkward. You can check us out on Twitter or Instagram at Give Me Five Pod. Give Me Five Podcast at Gmail dot com is our email address. And of course, please, please, please leave us a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you are using. And you can always check out our Libsyn page, which is available. You can get to it through Twitter. You can get through it through a bunch of things um, to find our Amazon link, which will send a little bit of money to us, take it away from Amazon. And if you really want to wear our logo and all that fun stuff on your chest, on your cell phone case, on your butt, uh, on your butt. pants, I think. I get a know. tattoo on your butt and send us a picture. Give me five podcasts. Yeah. yeah, there you go. You can get stickers for your laptops. Uh, give me five podcast dot threadless dot com. Thank you guys in advance and thank you for listening. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. Thank you guys. Thanks for joining us, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I never thought I would hate the smell of, um, Buffalo wing sauce as much as I did because I saw it in a table service theater. Mm. But the person next to me, it was like reclining chairs. They had got buffalo wings 
and it was just in my face the whole time. In your face. And that's all I smelled the whole movie. So there you go. 